Hello, I'm Karen Pascal. I'm the executive director of the Henry Nouwen Society. Welcome to a new episode of Henry Nouwen, Now and Then. Our goal at the Henry Nouwen Society is to extend the rich spiritual legacy of Henry Nouwen to audiences around the world. Each week, we endeavor to bring you a new interview with someone who's been deeply influenced by the writings of Henry Nouwen and someone with a living faith that guides their life and work. We invite you to share the daily meditations in these podcasts with your friends and family. Through them, we can continue to introduce new audiences to the writings and the teachings of Henry Nouwen. And we can remind each listener that they are a beloved child of God. Now, let me take a moment to introduce today's guest. I am absolutely thrilled to welcome to Henry Nouwen, now and then, Martin Sheen. Most of you are familiar with Martin for his many years of work on stage, on screen, and on television, for which he's won much-deserved acclaim and many awards and nominations. But what you may not know about my guest is that he has a long commitment to peace and is a vocal advocate for equity and justice. As an activist, he's been arrested over 60 times for nonviolent acts of civil disobedience. What's most interesting to the listeners of this podcast, I'm sure, is that Martin is a man of strong Christian faith, a faith that fuels and guides his life. Martin, welcome to our Henry Nouwen podcast. It's a delight to have you join us. Hi, how are you? I'm so delighted to have this opportunity to talk with you. I, I'm very grateful that you said yes. How kind of you. <laughs> well, well, how could I not with your lovely invitation? So, you know, um, I... I I, I reread the book and 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 uh, just finished it last night. As a matter of fact, it's quite extraordinary. I'd forgotten the depth of his in, of his in, involvement in that in that painting and how how it responded to the reality of his life. We're talking about the return of the prodigal son, and I'm yeah. delighted that it had such an impact on you. But you know what I think was amazing about it was Henry really portrayed all three characters so wonderfully, didn't he? Where do you see yourself in all of this? <laughs> well, I, you know, I, I've always seen myself as the prodigal. That's really the easiest one to identify with, uh, you know, my reckless youth. And uh, and and I came to uh, understand the brother, although I was never quite able to accept him. Like Henry, he couldn't see himself as the brother. Yeah. And when he finally came around to it, he realized that the triangle led to the father and that we are all called to be father or mother. Uh, father and mother are one, really. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, I, now at my age, uh, yeah, I, clearly I see the father and grandfather and great-grandfather. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know what is so wonderful about it is that for Henry, it brought healing to him because he'd had a difficult relationship, I think, with his own father. And in beginning to understand that he was called to be the father and was called to welcome home, he could also love and forgive his own father, I think, in that process. Yes. In fact, you know, I think that was why he dedicated the book to him. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. He waited for a few years to give it to him. It, he gave it to him on his birthday, but it was... It's wonderful, isn't it? It, it? it there's something in it for all of us and uh, and it is it is a classic. It is one of my very favorites. Yeah. Now, I understand that you were raised Catholic but you left the church and you turned around and how did that happen in your life? I think uh, Oh, well, I became an actor. <laughs> <laughs> 
that's the whole story. You know that old joke about the 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 devil comes to this actor and he says, "I'll make you the the richest and the most famous actor in the world for as long as you like." And the actor says, "Well, I'm delighted. Uh, what do I have to do?" And the devil says, "Just give me your soul." <laughs> and the actor says, "What's the catch?" <laughs> <laughs> so acting caught you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you know, I um I I uh was raised Catholic of course and I uh, went off to New York. I was very young. I was just thinking the other day if I had it to do again, I would have waited longer because I left when I was 18 instead of going to school, you know, to college. I I went to New York and 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 tried my best to you know, start a career. And I got I got lucky. It took a while, but but I think that I, I, I left a lot of unfinished uh, work in my family at home. You know, I came from a very large family. There were nine boys, one girl. Both of my parents were immigrants. My father was from Spain, my mother from Ireland. And, um, you know, they had 12 pregnancies, 10 survived, nine boys, one girl. I was the seventh son. And so uh, I, I was used to a big family and uh, not getting much attention and trying desperately to get it. And so that would, and in large part, that was why I think I was so determined to be an actor because then you, you, the attention couldn't be denied to you if you were successful. <laughs> so, yeah, I fell away from the church because I fell closer to uh, my ego, you know, and it took me quite a while. Though I was married in the church and the children were all baptized, I never fully practiced until. Uh, after a serious illness and a trip to India in 1981. And I saw um, a different world altogether. I I saw poverty there that I'd never uh, imagined before. And I saw and felt a responsibility to respond to it. And I was very inspired by Mother Teresa and her work among the poor. And so when I came back, I was determined to 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 try and find a place in the new church. Remember, I, when I left the church, it was like at the height of uh, of the Vatican II, and there were a lot of wonderful changes uh, that went on in my absence. And I only really became aware of them, like you know, in the early eighties. Um, and so I was in France, and uh, I uh, was doing a film. And uh, I, I, I had to be alone because my, my family couldn't join me. Uh, and I ran into an old friend, Terence Malick, who was living in Paris uh, at the time. And I had worked with uh, Terry on uh, Badlands, which was a, a very uh, important film for me and my career. And we forged a very good relationship. I hadn't seen him in quite a while. And although he is uh, Anglican, he was raised Anglican, he was he had a very strong moral fiber and he began to see that i was looking for uh a a raft you know to get back to the shore uh and so uh, he became uh basically a, a spiritual advisor i spent all my my free time with him and i learned my way around paris and i landed at saint joseph church on the avenue oche where there were a a congregation of redemptionists uh, who ran this this parish there. Most of the the congregation were American, Filipino, English-speaking people. 
And uh, I started going there, and I finally went to confession there. And it had been many years, so it was my it was my homecoming. That I identify one hundred percent with the with the prodigal, the coming home, and what a welcome! I remember uh, funnily after this long uh, confession, uh, the priest uh, asked a few questions. Then he said, "All right, I'm going to give you a penance now. You'll say one Our Father." And I paused, and I said, excuse me, did you say one Our Father? Yes, he said, you haven't been gone so long, you've forgotten the Our Father. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, so I I really um, related to the prodigal, as I think most of us can easily do, particularly when, when we do so many rash things and live according to our passions and our egos when we're young and we're, we're going in all different directions and such. Eventually we run into a wall, you know, and we say, wait a minute, this is not who I am. I'm not leading an honest life. And, uh, if, if the Catholic church teaches anything, it is to, I believe to encourage us to live an honest life, to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth all the time. That's pretty hard to do, but that's what, the Gospels encourages us to do, and so I, 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 I embrace that, and and through the mercy of God, I I continue to hold that as a as a uh, an inspiration, really, to live an honest life. I don't always succeed, and but often I'm the only one who knows it. And like Henry Nouwen, you know, I I had a lot of success, and yet I was not happy. I was not satisfied. Uh, I was jealous. Why did he get that? Why did she get that? Why aren't I being recognized? All of the, the, uh, the, 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 the emotions that he touches on in the book are remarkable. And, you know, I think one of the reasons that it's so powerful is because you have to pause every now and then and realize that the speaker, the author, is a is a very very revered Jesuit priest, you know, who has served in Central America and known all over the world for his writings and his uh, his lectures and his teachings, and and he is he is basically confronting the same problems that all of us are confronting, no matter what age in life we find ourselves. So I found that really encouraging. I keep having to remember that this is a Jesuit, a very successful (laughs) and popular, powerful spiritual (laughs) advisor and writer. And he's seeing himself in the, in the, uh, the oldest son, uh, the, uh, the unrepenting son, the jealous son. He sees himself very clearly in that guy. And he and he embraces it, uh, and then he, of course, he goes on and and realizes that yeah, he he, we're all called to be the father, to be unconditionally loving and forgiving, and compassionate. Compassion, I think, is the is the key word for the entire book. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, I think so. And you know, one of the things I love, I remember interviewing Henry about this, and I loved how he spread his arms wide and as if he was the father himself. And he said, I'm so glad you're back. I'm so glad you're back. And the bottom line that I had never really noticed before was 
The father doesn't say, what did you do? What were you up to? <laughs> you know, you don't come, yeah. you actually don't come confessing. You meet a welcome. You meet, I'm so glad you're home. Uh, and that is the compassion. That is the love of God that just envelops us. And, and uh, it's worth reading again. I know I've gone back to that book many times and I just go, this is a treasure. And it's a treasure because Henry dares to be so honest with who he is and what he feels. And that's where you go, oh, that's just like me. I feel yeah, that. Exactly. You know? yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It makes it possible for us uh, to see ourselves and to accept uh, with grace, you know, and say, yeah. yeah, that's the only way we're going to become ourselves yeah. uh, is, the, is, is surrendering to what he made very clear to all of us is who we really are where we come from and where what we're destined for yeah you know and and did and you know did you just say that you you knew him i i got to interview him yes i was actually i got to know henry through his books and and i was doing a series of television programs where i would ask people if they inspired me who was inspiring them and i kept hearing this name henry now and but i didn't know him i hadn't read any of his books and so it started with a book and then i I simply fell in love with his writing. I was so taken and wanted to interview him. So uh, that came about very slowly, but eventually I got to interview Henry. Um, he wasn't particularly enchanted with television or, or with any kind of programming like that, but it was a wonderful experience. And he uh, he said, uh, I wanted to have him for a day. He said, I'll give you I think he said, I'll give you three hours. So by that point, he was on a pedestal for me. And I simply said to my cameraman, and I had two of them, the only time you're getting a break is if you have to go to the washroom. There's no smoke breaks. Everything is, the cameras never stop rolling as far as I'm concerned. And we wow. had this wonderful material and we built a couple of little programs out of it. And, and it was just, it was a, an excellent experience. And then within the year, Henry died. And I realized oh I had some God. of the very best material on Henry Nowen. And so we went on to build a documentary on him, a biography. And that's where I got to know Henry through his friends, through those that knew him and through his family and his colleagues and his students and basically pulled together that sense of who he was. And that's how I met your good friend, John Deere. He was one of his students. He was, Henry reached out to him when he was in prison. And I know that John has been quite an influence in your life. I, I know John is oh, the person yes. who's brought us together. Tell me a little bit yes. about uh, about John Deere from your perspective. Well, John Deere le uh, leads me to Dan Berrigan, you know. Dan, oh, he, yes, of course, Dan, Dan, Dan and his, Philip, uh, yeah. Yeah, Dan and Philip uh, and the peace movement in the East Coast, because uh, John was in the Baltimore province, you know. Uh -huh. And uh, he came under Dan's influence. And uh, they had a very similar, as you know, uh, kind of personality, which was which was 100 uh, percent uh, dedicated, but uh, equally uh, 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 it, it was a it was a, a service of, of uh, it was a commitment for the long haul. It wasn't yeah. just this issue or that demonstration. It was the long haul. It was about living a just life and a, a purposeful life and committed to um, more than the the piety or the prayerful, which both are very powerful, but uh, it is the action where you where you put the prayer uh, into your feet and you show up and uh, and 
and and speak the truth to power and take whatever they hand out, you know, and you do it with a, with a sense of joy. That's what always inspired me about Dan. Well, I was at many demonstrations with him. I was arrested with him several times, and he was filled with humor and, and, and joy. He told jokes and sang songs and even danced uh, uh, on occasion. But it was such a relief to do all that you could possibly do, whatever the issue was. You did it nonviolently, and you accepted the results, whatever they were, whether you had to go to jail or just overnight or whatever it was. Uh, suffer the indignity of uh, of uh, being arrested uh, for, but for a noble cause, a just cause, and that evokes such joy and freedom. And John is filled with that. I, he's just an, a powerful inspiration. He, you know, he's most of his adult life has been uh, has been in the service of peace and social justice. As you know, he spent long periods in jail and once a federal uh, uh, penitentiary. So. He's a committed man, and um, uh, he's a source of inspiration that uh, it's no wonder that he was inspired by Henry Nouwen and, and that he would uh, come under such influence. They're, they're very similar in nature. Yeah. You know, they're very practical and and very honest and, and very, very down to earth, you know, is yeah. filled with humor. <laughs> yeah. And, I, mean, you, you, I, I never saw Henry Nouwen, a photograph of him in a in a Roman collar, and I rarely saw John or Dan ever, at a, yeah. except occasionally at a, at a demonstration, they would ask him to wear the collar so that it was a, uh, it reminded the church uh, where, of where we were supposed to be, yeah. you know. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so that was always a good thing. But otherwise, I rarely saw him uh, with a Roman collar. It's interesting with Henry, he doesn't, uh, even on, on his books, there's nothing, there's no place where he's called Father Henry now, and yet he had a deep commitment to his uh, vow uh, as a priest, but he didn't want anything to separate what he had to offer, didn't want anything to get in the way of it, so that the communication yeah. would really, the, the walls were down, the arms were open wide to say welcome home, and, and uh, the walls were down. With, with Father John Deere, you know, he's been talking about the nonviolence all his life, uh, yeah. and he talks about the nonviolent Jesus. There's the first time I ever heard that was at his first mass in Washington, D.C. I'd just come back from overseas, and I, I had a layover in Washington, D.C., and it was the morning of his first mass as an ordained priest there at St. Aloysius in the basement. And I attended that mass, and he started with, May the grace and peace of God our Father, the love of the Holy Spirit, and the love of the nonviolent Jesus. And I thought... Oh my goodness! And the, and the congregation burst into applause. Wow! It was like I'd never heard Jesus called the nonviolent Jesus, and it just made such a powerful uh, uh, impression on me. It said, "Of course, he was nonviolent. And it cost him his life, you know." Yeah. Uh, and that that's what, what we are called to do is to is to risk our lives for justice. And, uh, yeah, John was there, and what an inspiration. You know, I, I wonder if you would agree that um, Henry Nouwen has a place that is very similar, I think, at least here in the West, uh, with his spirituality that uh, Thomas Merton holds. 
Yes, I think so. He was a great admirer of Merton, and he even taught courses on Merton when he was at Yale and at Harvard. So, no, I think I think there is I, those two are some of the profound uh, influences that endure yeah. for us, and they and they cause us to think deeply. Yeah. With John, he came back when Henry died. He finished the book, The Road to Peace. He went into the archives and found Henry's writings on peace because Henry, when he came to America, he was Dutch in in uh, by birth, and he came to America to study at the Menninger Clinic, and and uh, and then he went on to uh, teach at Notre Dame and then to Yale. But he was so taken by Dr. Martin Luther King. He was he was so taken by what was happening in America. And in fact, he was part of marching to Selma. And I, I know you did the movie Selma. And I just wondered I, your thoughts about uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., his influence and, and how we can continue to learn from him. And, and it comes together with our spirituality. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, I was in New York, uh, when Reverend King was really at the apex of his uh, influence and his work uh, for the civil rights movement and, and against the war in Vietnam. Uh, I was in New York when he was killed. And uh, I had a, a occasion. We, I was doing a Broadway show in uh, uh, 1965 when uh, Selma uh, exploded. And uh, I helped organize uh, all the Broadway theaters to uh, do a benefit for Selma called Broadway Answers Selma. Mm -hmm. And um, we did that. And we played one night only. All the stars on Broadway participated. And to our uh, surprise, uh, Reverend King showed up. No one knew he was was there. And he, uh, he, he stood up in the in uh, in a box uh, you know above the stage uh, and mm-hmm. and took a bow and tried to sit down and the audience would not let him sit down he got back up and he waved and he he smiled and waved he sat back down and they said no they wouldn't <laughs> he, he got back up and begged them you know he with his hands he gestured for them to sit down and he was funny he smiled mm-hmm. and finally they they did and the show went on and at the uh, then we had a break and at the start of the second act i was backstage just helping uh folks uh maneuver in the dark and i remember uh, marie chevalier was doing a a show on broadway a one-man show and he was going to perform as well and so he came backstage while i was there and i got him a chair so he could wait uh, his turn to go on stage and sammy davis was on stage singing and the light from the front of the stage was was seeping through the backstage, and I felt a, a a figure to my left, about maybe twenty feet away. And I looked over, and the light was on Reverend King, and I was astonished at how small he was. I thought, "Oh my God!" I thought he was eight feet tall, didn't you? <laughs> oh my God! It's Martin Luther King, and there he was. He was just looking out on to the stage uh, at Sammy, and I knew what was going on. I I, I realized that he was. He, he was leaving, and he didn't want to make a fuss, but he just wanted to say goodbye to Sammy Davis, and that's exactly what was going on. And as he stood there in the light and waited, I thought, I, I really have to get the blessing. I've got, and then my inner 
the devil said, no, leave the man alone. He's bothered all of them. And then the angel said, no, man, get the blessing. When are you going to see this guy? No, 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 don't bother him for heaven's sake. It went on and on about the full three or four minutes. Uh, uh, and and then uh, and, and here comes uh, Sammy off stage. He went right over to him. And they hugged, and he and he escorted him to the backstage door, and I never uh, saw him again. So I've always always regretted I didn't get the blessing, but I had the blessing, you know. Oh I, yeah. A, a large part of me wanted this to 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 make my, to introduce myself so that I could brag about it. Oh. And that was part of the reason that I I didn't want to do it. Uh, you know, I knew him in the spirit. I knew who he was. Yeah. I knew what he stood for. And he was a powerful inspiration to all of us. And we were devastated with his death. And, uh, you know, uh, the country has not never fully recovered. And eight weeks later, uh, Bobby Kennedy was murdered. And the two of them were the the example of the very best part of us in the 60s. When I when they mentioned the 60s, those were the two figures that most uh, showed the most courage and 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 the greatest humanity and compassion the two of them and they were anchored in justice and uh compassion and 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 the effort to end a war one of the greatest things that ted said about bobby at his funeral was he saw a war and tried to stop it Mm. and i thought my god yes that's exactly what he did so and reverend king you know four years before bobby saw that war and tried to stop it and was targeted and, uh, you know, was very clearly uh, against the uh, the powers that be that he continue yeah. because he had such a, a powerful influence. You have been uh, somebody who has been on that front line for peace and for justice. And I can I can really imagine right now your heart is aching for what's happening in the Ukraine. Oh, my God. How can we tolerate this? You know, I've often thought, you know, I went to... Um, Auschwitz once and I was doing a film in Berlin and I had a friend there who said uh, he was going to Auschwitz and would I go I will I said and we went we took a train an overnight train from Berlin to uh, well Auschwitz is outside uh, the city um, it escapes me at the moment but um, outside of Krakow maybe yeah we were in Krakow yes and and when we, we we hired a cab and went to Auschwitz and we asked the guy to wait for us you know figured we wouldn't be that long and and we arrived and toured and and then we went over to uh, um uh, where the where the the ovens were where the mm-hmm. crematoriums were the horrible uh, uh you know the, they had yeah. the the germans had left them imploded all of those uh, the gas chambers and they're left as they were were found by the russians you know and um boy it shows you how far the russians have gone doesn't it but yeah. at any rate, um, I my my I wanted to know what it felt like, what it must have felt like uh, to be a prisoner at Auschwitz. And I touring, uh, you know, you you know, mm-hmm. you know, decades after the fact, it's not possible to yeah. know that. But I wanted to get a sense of what the place was like, who these people were, where they come from, what they stood for, and uh, and when I left, I my chief. Uh, curiosity was what it must have been like to be a guard there. Who were those people? Mm-hmm. How could they have endured that? You know, yeah. what did they carry with them out of that? Yeah. Yeah. 
so uh you know and i visited uh, uh the uh, colby uh, maximilian colby's uh, cell where mm. pope john uh, paul ii came and canonized him in that cell it's quite extraordinary wow um yeah i, I you know to think that 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 so many people in the german empire in the in the third reich uh, claimed that they didn't know what was going on well of course they did they were just terrified to expose it for fear of what would happen to them and now we know what's going on in ukraine yeah there's no way that we can and we know that putin knows and putin knows that we know yeah. he's watching everything that we're watching and more because he's getting the footage uh from his uh from his soldiers of what's going on there and the horror stories that are coming out are just i mean it's hard to imagine but they seem to be motivated by the indoctrination of these soldiers about these people these neighbors yeah. are nazis yeah. and yeah. that's what has motivated them? It's fueled by lies. It's it's fueled by lies, and and that's terrifying to see. How does this come? What is the end? There isn't a vision for an end in it. You don't go into something so horrific and tear apart a country and destroy a people with no end inside. I I, I can't believe that he's actually going to win this. I think the one thing it's done There's is... There's no winning. He's already no. lost it. That he yeah. would conceive that this was necessary, that this was his a, a projection of his ego. Yeah. So, you know, you can't... In order to kill, you have to be dead. Yeah. He He's dead already. You look into his eyes. I mean, he looks yeah. horrible. He looks like something that you'd put in the garden... <laughs> under a fountain you know he, yeah. he, there's no there's no humanity left in him nothing and then you look at the Zelensky who weeps and rages and yeah. pleads for help and blesses yeah. uh, his people and and says you know he's never once really condemned the Russians he said that you don't know what you're doing that's a familiar phrase isn't it you don't know what you're doing it's interesting that, you know, you, you hear that phrase for such a time as this, or you come into the kingdom and you think about Zelensky and the timing of, in a sense, uh, wearing the cloak of leadership with clarity, with, with, with um, almost a sense we've lacked moral leadership for so long. I'm so grateful for Pope Francis as a, as a moral leader. But on the whole, that's been something that's been missing. Tell me a little bit about I know that you're a great fan of Pope Francis, so let's talk a little bit about that. I think he's been a, a man that's captured your heart, too. Boy, he uh, he set the stage from the get-go, didn't he? We're grateful. We're so grateful. Oh, my God, that he that he was elected to begin with yeah. and that he, he's been doing uh, what he started out to do. He stayed the course, you know, and he's so—it it is such an inspiration. The only really disappointing— part of his papacy is that the American Catholic Church has been very reticent and has been very, very slow to embrace him and his his mission. And that's because, you know, we've drifted so far politically that the church and the state are hard to separate these days. I remember Dan Berrigan uh, told me a story, or somebody told me a story about him once that he he was giving a uh, homily in a, a church and, and in the pulpit, and there was uh, 
an American flag on his left and a papal flag on his right. And Dan looked at him and he said, well, now I have some sense of how Jesus felt being crucified between two thieves. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. So, you know, I think that the American Catholic Church has become so conservative, so far to the right. I mean, the, the, the main issue of the bishops is the abortion issue. I think they're going to win it. I, I think this court is primed to, uh, to overturn Roe v. Wade. Okay, that's, that's one thing. But if you're not going to pick up the slack of who is going to be most affected by, by this ruling, it's going to be the poor. It's going to be uh, uh, primarily black and Hispanic and poor whites that are going to need help if they are going to be forced to carry uh, an unwanted pregnancy. And I say that with, with compassion uh, and not with any form of judgment. I, I, I'm appalled by abortion. I do not support it, but I'm a man. And I, I, I never have to face that, that, uh, that horrible burden, whether to, to have a child or not, uh, when it's not planned, uh, or for whatever circumstance, we know that the majority are people who are suffering. The rich will have no problem uh, uh, getting abortions. You know, they're very used to uh, having things their way, and no one will be the wiser. And that's always as it's been. But I think that what the church has got to wake up to is that there is a responsibility. You can't just be uh, you can't, you know, um, you can't ignore Matthew. I think it's Matthew 26. You know, when did we see you hungry Lord? Uh, and, and, and have a full Christian experience. I, I think that that's where we are truly, uh, lacking in, uh, in the American Catholic church. And it's now it's the majority, you know, uh, and so I think we're going to have to we're going to have to wake up to the fact that there's a lot of very very scary stuff coming down un- under the name of religion, piety, uh, righteousness on God's side, and we we've we've forgotten about the poor, and they're going to be crushed again and again. And uh, I think that that's that's what Francis is trying to wake us up to. His his service is so complete, his heart is so open, so big, and it's so broken. Uh, clearly, you know, uh, he reminds me of uh, what we are all called to be. That is so, so transparent, so open that God has a way to get in. You know, we can't. It's hard for us to find our way to God until we realize that God is trying to find a way to us, you know. <laughs> I love uh, uh, Merton's uh, Christmas thing. You know, I got a Christmas card from Dan Berrigan once, and it was a quote from Thomas Merton, and it said, into this world, this demented inn, in which there is absolutely no room for him at all, Christ comes uninvited. I mean, who goes <laughs> out of their way looking looking for Jesus, looking for trouble? You know, I mean, that's what it amounts to. That's the most beautiful yeah. summary of, uh, of a God that comes uninvited into our world and and I am just delighted to hear the energy and the the excitement in you you're you're somebody who who gets it and who understands that living your faith out is something that you live out in community and that you take out to the front lines and 
honestly, it's an inspiration. It's it's just been a joy to talk with you today, an absolute joy for me. Thank you so much. Well, I'm delighted, and and I thank you so much. Uh, and uh, I'm sorry I was so long responding to your beautiful letter, and I kept all the books. Oh, good. <laughs> <And> I, <laughs> I think I even sent one out to oh. someone else. Uh, oh. uh, so uh, thank you so much again, and. Uh, you know, maybe we can do this again sometime, and it would, it might be fun if you get a if you get John involved, and maybe we could get a three way conversation. And I love and it. And John Deere, his ears are burning, I'm sure. <laughs> I would love that. Yeah, I would love that. Yeah. Henry Nouwen would have loved to have known you in person. I'm sorry that you two didn't cross paths, but you were kindred spirits for sure. And uh, this has just been oh, a delight. My. Thank you so much. What a blessing. Thank you so much. Blessings. Bye bye. Bye bye, Karen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. What an honor for me to spend time with Martin Sheen. His faith is so alive and so vibrant and, and uh, challenging. For more resources related to today's conversation, click on the links on the podcast page of our website. You'll find links to anything mentioned today, as well as book suggestions. If you've enjoyed today's podcast, we would be so grateful if you take time to give us a review or a thumbs up pass this on to your friends and companions on the faith journey. Thanks for listening. Until next time.